From atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, West. you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio, hour one and hour two, special guest with me. The goal is to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio, folks. To our special guest, Tim Starks. Tim Starks has spent 20 years as an analyst working with cyber security, risk analysis, disaster planning, and recovery. Serious stuff, folks. Now we're talking about the coronavirus. By the way, this is the broadcast for March 28th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Remember that. It's the year of our Lord, 2020. There's a call for a national day, an international, a global day of prayer tomorrow. We want to fast and pray that we can get rid of the coronavirus, that our leaders will be respectful and responsible, that all these things will happen for the good of the world. Will you help us? The power of fasting and prayer, uh, in my personal opinion, cannot be underestimated, ladies and gentlemen. This is serious, serious business. All right. Now, the first hour, we talked about these shelter-in-place orders, martial law orders, stay-at-home directives, and the sliding scale between all these terms, and the threat level, one, two, and three, that the coronavirus has caused across the nation. We're at threat level two, by the way, and how to interpret that is very difficult. The point becomes, when do leaders cross the line? You know what? We're not going to share any information with you, but we're going to create these orders. And I believe when you start to create jail time, like they've done in Salt Lake City, $1,000 fine for violating the stay-at-home order and six months in jail, I believe the mayor's gone too far here. When you have no explanation and start mandating jail time, at some point, that's a serious problem. And I'm not here to define where that line is because you know what, folks? I don't know. I don't have enough intel. And Tim Starks wisely brings that up. You know, people sign uh, non-disclosure agreements and people are um, dealing with classified information. And, you know, I understand a lot of that. There's a unique balance that military people and infrastructure people have to deal with uh, government elected officials and et cetera. Uh, sometimes people in appointed department or appointed positions in departments. And you know what? They're not at liberty to discuss anything you want. And most of the lay people in America, and, and I'll be admit that I, for a long time, have not completely understood this either. It's important to learn about this and understand this, though. There is a fine line. And when you're on different sides of that table, if you will, the public and or uh, in some of these closed door meetings with discussions, you know what? You have a completely different viewpoint because the information that you have is completely different. And it's important to understand that at some point, though, there needs to be a, you know, both sides come to Jesus, pardon the pun. But at some point, there's got to be a matching of the minds, a meeting of the minds. Hey, you know what? We elected you, so I respect you, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt versus you better take that fiduciary responsibility sacredly and seriously as our leaders. And when you've gone too far at some point, when people see that, they run out of patience. And so I think there's a fine line there. And a balance. And that fine line can't completely be defined because it's circumstantial based on uh, information, uh, based on, uh, well, classified information or sworn to secrecy situations. It's not a simple discussion. It's a fluid reality. Tim Starks, do you want to speak to that? And then we'll move to the economy, sir. But I want to really clarify the reason that we've spent so much time on this. And the reason that I want to spend so much time on this is because I want people to get a little bit more of an education about the meaning of the minds that must take place. Um, in other countries, they don't care. They just crack down. In America, because of the supreme law of our land, 
and liberty being so sacred, it's a different ballgame. But it requires humble people that seek a, an appropriate balance here. Uh, am I fair in this assessment? Yeah, Sam, and I think, I think what, uh, what you're seeing is leaders who value the Constitution and who model their leadership around the Constitution and uh, do their due diligence, you see them with good actions. Leaders who probably aren't as educated about the Constitution and, and how to run things in a proper manner and who lack the due diligence to the, the community um, are going to perform poorly. And that's what we, we're seeing. We're seeing the differences in this because of that reason, in my opinion. I get your point, and I agree. And I'm saying this mayor in Salt Lake City has gone too far without more of an explanation. Not near as, you know, gone way further than the governor by far. And at some point I say, you know what? The mayor has no right to do that open-endedly without other people. The checks and balances that America is known for in the mix. All right. Now, I would have to go ahead. I'm sorry. I would have to say and agree with you on this mayor in uh, Salt Lake City. I mean, for no more information that's been divulged and, and no more than, than has happened, it seems pretty draconian and extreme to be implementing punishments as prison for this kind of uh, uh, order. All right. The other thing is when the president of the United States and others, congressmen and senators, are saying, hey, we got a wartime president. This is the most significant industrial mobilization since World War II. We have a wartime president fighting this coronavirus, an unseen enemy, an invisible enemy. We have the full force of government in bed with free enterprise. Well, not so free anymore. Um, Trump has now ordered General Motors under the Defense Production Act mandating you're going to move your factories to create ventilators. Okay, now you could say, well, the justification may be there somewhere, Sam. But you know what? When you start pulling out this, um, quote, mandate by the force of law and you literally take private companies and then turn them into your manufacturing agency, at some point I submit to you that he may have authority to do that. Um, I don't agree with the authority because I think it violates the Constitution, but it is on the books and has been since 1950. Okay, But when you do that, there better be more of an explanation than what we're seeing. Well, the reason that matters is because this changes the economic reality, Tim. Oh, the, the economy is, is not going to be the same as we know it. it from this point on, it's going to be different. Now, the reasons behind all this may have bigger significance and bigger reasons than we know. I mean, you know. One of my things is, you know, I have to ask myself, did China start this? Is this something that China's economy was hurting, you know, because of a lot of the the different differences in trade um, regulations and rules that we've implemented to try to bring businesses back to the United States and, and manufacturing back? Has this hurt China more than we realize? And has China decided, you know, um, our economy is, is, is not there and, and maybe in, and to save faces of their own people? This is a part of a plan to try to crash the economy worldwide. Um, I don't know. you know, I, I, And maybe China plans to go to war with the U.S. Maybe there's more interactions going between us and China that we know. Well, and if there, the if there are to some degree in an effort to avoid a war, there would be some type of classified or need-to-know uh, information scenario where there might be some justification for that saying, look, we don't want the people to get all crazy for or against a war. We want to negotiate this quietly and avert the tensions. And, you know, there's some validity there, too. Well, there's if you look at – and, of course, a lot of people aren't paying attention to this right now because the virus has taken front stage. Or center stage, but but here's the thing that you know. If you really 
pay attention right now. There is a lot of stuff that China is doing right now, some actions toward the U.S. that are very hostile. Um, and we have to wonder what's going on behind the scenes there between our countries. Now you hear reports that, hey, Trump, you know, um, you know, uh, comments that, you know, uh, Xi or whatever the, the Chinese president is, I can't pronounce his name right, but uh, Xi or whatever, that he's doing a good job and they get along great. That, that's what he's saying at face value, you know, but what's the real story behind the scenes? We don't know. So there could be more to this and that element of things as well. And there may be a big push to try to crash the, crash the economy globally. I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to promote a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying this is the kind of thoughts that go through my head when I try to analyze everything. And that's kind of one of the thought processes I've been looking at at this point. Right. And so I look at this thing and I say, you know what? When it comes to the economy, I have more of a, a an ability to speak out and say, you know what? We're literally closing down businesses all over the nation. Some areas way worse than others. The same discussion of last hour applies, but it's a little different because I have more of a stake. One is my rights, whether I stay home or travel or move around. The other one, though, is my ability to support my family. You're going to break the bread bowl, so to speak, uh, over this. And so when you say these essential services can stay open, the rest must close. Um, at what point then do I push back and say, you know what? I'm essential. I'm essential. And right now they got these essential services that you can drive a truck through. Um, but at some point we're going to destroy the economy over this. And so you got to ask yourself, would you rather get the coronavirus, Tim, or lose your job or both? Or that's the question, right? Well, I think that's where this thing needs to migrate for. And this is what is kind of astounding to me is that a lot of the people, in the medical profession and in the CDC community, um, you know, why they're not discussing these other things. And I think I've got a pretty good idea why they're not, but we should be looking at things as such as universal masking. Um, universal masking is very effective, proven effective um, by Hong Kong and China for returning to work environments to where you have to work. And those kinds of solutions, you know, screening people that come to work, screening them for their temperature, screening them for symptoms, and universal masking, um, and, and educating people on this and, and, and the factories and businesses, um, and implementing something like that and returning to work to save the economy is something I think that they should be looking at at this point, and I'm kind of shocked that they're not, and maybe that's something that Trump's wanting to look at. Well, President Trump has said we're going to create a a system of gauging the risk in different areas. Utah, that only has three deaths, only, you know, 480 people infected out of 3.2 million people, that may not be near the threat that, say, a New York City might be, and we got to have different responses in those two locations, and I think there is something to that whole point. I just think we should have been on this much faster. Well, and, you know, something that – so, you know, my background of when I assess risk and, and we assess, you know, what mitigation plans should be put together. I'll continue later. All right. Hang tight. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about assessing risk. How do you do that? How do you bring the economy back? Okay? It's a fair question. Literally, they're saying the United States is already in a recession, and the world is most likely in a recession as well. We'll talk about that as well. Liberty Roundtable Live, Tim Starks, on your radio. As 
a parent, is receiving a faith-based, character-focused education for your children difficult to find? Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental, where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org. Liberty is not free. Its costs are innumerable. Without monetary funding, the valiant efforts of freedom-loving Americans become diminished or outright defeated. We present a solution, the Give Me Liberty Fund. The plan is quite simple. Invite individual Americans to contribute less than a dollar a day. These monetary funds are used to promote liberty-minded media, organizations, events, candidates, movements, and speakers. In the spirit of transparency, all expenditures are published. Patriotic business owners provide discounted products and services to Give Me Liberty Fund members. Our greatest strength is in numbers. Go to GiveMeLibertyFund.com and become part of the solution today. GiveMeLibertyFund.com Participate in the peaceful restoration of the greatest and freest country in the world. Note to civil and elected leaders. Protect us, yes. Crush our civil liberties, no. We all understand the seriousness of the coronavirus, folks, and the need to take appropriate precautions. What we don't understand is why governments and government officials at all levels seem to be stomping on our civil liberties. They don't even acknowledge we have a constitution. Well, folks, we're getting fed up. We've got to strike a balance. But this is serious, and I think that the economy is where the discussion really needs to center. Because I believe that's where I have the biggest stake. I've got to feed my children. What if I lose my job? How do I make my house payment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Economists say the U.S. is already in recession. And the head of the International Monetary Fund, IMF, said on Friday that it's clear that the global economy has now entered a recession that could be as bad as or worse than the 2008 downturn. IMF Managing Director, Kristalina Jordiva, I don't know how to say her last name. Anyway, she says the 189-member lending agency was forecasting recovery that won't happen until 2021, and that's even only if we make appropriate moves to contain the coronavirus and the right moves to bring back the economy. Then they're talking about 2021 now as possible recovery time. I don't know that it'll be that fast, but listen, the remaking of the economy is happening before your very eyes, and it started already a month ago, if you will. 
Uh, Tim, let's let's start there, because I think this is really where the rubber meets the road for most people. They just want to support their family. Well, yeah, and it's like I was you know, talking earlier. What's not making sense about this is the actions for the risk don't match. You know, when you perform a, a risk assessment for a, um, you know, an infrastructure or a business, you analyze the risk. Then you analyze the impact, you know, who's going to be harmed and how much and, you know, what's, what's the impact of it. And then you implement the mitigation um, controls and put them in place according to, um, you know, those findings and those analysts. And right now, the disaster that's happened to the economy is far more significant than the risk of the, the virus at this point from what, it's, what it seems. So why is everybody on board to destroy the economy? I don't know. And that's the question that should be raising a lot of concerns with Americans at this point is, you know, what what's the plan to save the economy or why is the economy being destroyed at the what at face value doesn't look like is a bigger risk at this point. There's more there than we know or there's an agenda there. Well, they claim that the 2.2 trillion dollar, you know, law that just got passed to give handouts to literally everything and everybody uh, that along with $4 trillion of increased federal reserve lending. So $6.2 trillion. uh, Some say that ought to get it done until we can turn this thing around. Others are saying it won't be near enough. For example, the airlines are saying, yeah, you know what? We're not going to have to do massive layoffs, but we're going to still have to lay off a bunch of people. This isn't near enough of a handout near enough to save us. And I look at the American people and I say, you know what, if under $75,000 per person you, you make under seventy five grand, you get $1,200. So a family, husband and wife that make under hundred and fifty grand get $2,400, then $500 for every child. Um, you know, that's no offense, but that's not enough money to bridge anything. Even if you're a husband and a wife with two children and you get 2400 plus 500 for each kid, so $3,400. I mean, that, you're lucky if that's even a month's wages. Uh, it, it's not enough, not even close to when we say the recovery is going to happen in 2021. Um, if we can get a handle on the coronavirus and if we make the right economic moves, according to these, quote, world leaders. I mean, at some point, it doesn't make any sense still. And that's six point two trillion dollars, 25 percent of the national debt later. We're going to talk about that. Well, and I, I like you said, I have not seen anything in this stimulus plan that in my opinion is going to stimulate the economy or help the economy um, for any, you know, future. But I have seen things that promote agendas such as this could be an opportunity for countries to switch over to digital currency and do away with gas. Um, You know, I've seen other things that uh, in our own government with a stimulus plan that bring about things that would have never been funded or happened um, through the normal process, it would have been shot down, but we're able to get it in this stimulus bill. So, And we're able to do it under the guise of an emergency. Exactly. There's a lot of agendas being fulfilled right now that would have never happened. So I don't know. So yeah, here's the next question. The if Anthony Fossey says this thing is going to mutate, this thing, uh, and this is where you are, I think, spot on, Tim, when you say they're trying to manage the information, they know things we don't know, and they're leaking it out slowly so the people don't panic. I think you're right. And Fossey basically said, hey, and, and most people didn't catch this, but he said this, you know what, this thing could be a seasonal thing. 
So I guess my question is, what happens if it, we drive it away in spring because it gets warmer and all kind of things happen? We think we're okay. We start to bring back the economy. It either hits us hard in the fall this year or in subsequent years it mutates and hits hard. Um, there's no telling what could happen to the economy because there'll be no end to these things, right? I mean, what I mean is it'll just mutate and come back and mutate and come back. And, and at what point, what would we do? I mean, is this going to be a way of life? For the foreseeable future, and what does that future look like? Well, uh, at some at, point, we're going to remake America out of this, aren't we? Yeah, looking at this from an analyst point of view on contingency plans for disasters and potential disasters, and you know preparedness, I would look at this and think, you know, this is probably going to diminish the end of May. It's going to go away. We're going to have a little reprieve, you know, through the summer, and. Things are going to start to turn up and trend up. But if what this doctor's saying is true, we could potentially see the reemergence of this virus um, in a significant way December and January. If that happens and it does mutate and it becomes more deadly, and we already know it's very contagious at this point, but if it becomes more deadly, then we were faced with another problem because I think people are going to become complacent apathetic toward the whole, yeah, nothing happened last time, so we're not going to listen to you this time. So it's going to be compounded with even more um, issues other than, you know, right now people are listening more so and and taking it serious. But once something like this happens and nothing happens really of significance that they can see, then the second time they're not as eager to listen and they're very rebellious. So the bottom line is, did the government cry wolf too many times on this thing? Is that where we're going to end up? Well, I don't know if they cried wolf, and, and, and it could be, and it could be that this is being exaggerated more to get things to, you know, drive things, you know, as a driver to drive certain agendas, too. But more importantly, that's where we were talking about there's a fine line between not giving information that maybe this doctor, if he knows it, should say, hey, this is why we're doing this, because we fear that this is the start, and the more we control it now, the better we'll be in November or December. So that people take it serious all the way through and don't just think that when this ends in May, if it does, that it's over or that it wasn't that significant. Well, and that's kind of the problem here that I see. But look, if what the doctor is saying is true and this is seasonal, then we know it's going to mutate. We know it's going to get worse. And this idea that we can recover the economy by 2021 is going to be very unlikely, even if we got it done. And we stamped it out, and it didn't come back for the first year or two or three or whatever else. Even if we got the economy back up and running by 2021, there's going to be another strike, whether it's man-made or whether it's made in a lab. And there's a, it's been weaponized as another debate for another day. But what I'm saying to you is at some point, if this is true by the doctor, I don't know how the economy is going to ever recover. It'll just be remade under this new, quote, matrix, right? All right. Our economy and business as we know it, I, I personally believe from this point on, is forever changed. How we do things socially, how we do things as a country is going to be totally different. Companies are going to have to look at more um, remote teleworkers. Um, schools, the whole idea of schools need to be reassessed because is, is online schooling a better solution for most people? Um, you know, these kinds of things are going to be looked at now, I think, more serious, especially now that everybody's doing online schooling and completing, and they're going to be like, hey, this is way better. I don't have to send my kids to school. I don't have to have the influence 
of bad elements at school. I don't have to have the indoctrination of some of these schools. I can do this from my own home and have control and, and have family influence on my children and not wonder what happened to my children. Now, these kinds of things are going to be serious discussions in the future with our country as it relates to how we operate as a nation now. I don't know where this leads us, but I'll tell you what I do believe. I do believe things have changed in America and around the world and in many ways will never go back. Now, I do believe there's sunlight at the end of this tunnel, though. Okay, so I don't want you to think I'm preaching doom and gloom here, but I do believe the economy will be remade. And I want to talk about that with Tim, and I want to look at it from a perspective of my family. How do I do a risk-reward analysis? And how do I put myself in the best position to weather this storm going forward? I think it's really critical for every American. Pursuing liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Wendy King. Vice President Mike Pence says the Coronavirus Task Force is meeting this weekend to review the numbers and recommend what steps to take next. The president has pushed this week to reopen as much of the country as he can safely. I certainly want to get it open as soon as possible. I don't want it to be long, but we also want it to open safe. The new stimulus bill will send resources to health care providers and money to families and individuals who've been laid off during the outbreak. The president says many companies are pitching in to help. We've had tremendous results on the respirators. We've had great results on uh, just about everything we're talking about. Uh, Boeing just announced that they're going to be making the plastic face shields, the actual shields, which are hard to come by, and they're going to be making them by the thousands a week. This is USA Radio News. Hi, this is Wayne Allyn and do I have a perfect book at the perfect time for you. Dr. Nancy Wolf is a conservative and capitalist professor emeritus in the psychology department at UCLA, where she spent 30 years. She studied and taught about the human mind. She knows exactly what we need to hear right now as chaos and crisis descend around us. Her book is Conscious Matrix. Nancy explains why the liberals, socialists, and globalists trying to destroy us right now will not and cannot succeed because we as Americans are wired to win, to be the greatest nation and the greatest people ever in the history of mankind our biology our history our culture all these things are pre-wired in our minds and souls we're literally pre-wired to win nancy says we have more light in our hearts and minds when we are right with god and she says together god president trump and conservative americans will save the soul of america we will win we are literally predestined to win this is the book you need to read now today purchase conscious matrix at libertyhillpublishing.com conscious matrix at libertyhillpublishing.com or available at amazon and barnes and noble A new survey of mayors says cities lack sufficient test kits and protective equipment for first responders and hospital personnel on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic. Nearly 90% of respondents to a survey conducted by the U.S. Conference of Mayors said their cities have an inadequate amount of frontline equipment for dealing with the virus. 85% said their hospitals don't have enough ventilators. The shortages could lead to the coronavirus overwhelming available supplies. The report said there was little variation in adequacy of supplies between very large and very small cities. 
Civil rights leader Reverend Joseph Lowry has passed away. He helped Reverend Martin Luther King found the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. He was honored by President Barack Obama. Born and raised in Jim Crow, Alabama, the Reverend Joseph Lowry is a giant of the Moses generation of civil rights leaders. Reverend Joseph Lowry was 98 years old. You're listening to USA Radio News. All right, so I've got Tim Starks with us. He's an expert at risk analysis. How can we carry out a family risk and reward analysis so we can weather the economic fallout for our families? How do we deal with this? Because the economy, no doubt about it, is going to be changed forever. Now, I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm not producing, or, you know, predicting doom and gloom. Uh, I think there will be a sunny day in the future. It's hard to see that in the middle of a storm, folks, but it's true. The sun does come out. Okay, I do believe this isn't the end of the world. I do believe that the, we will weather this storm to, to a great degree. But I think that the economy will be remade out of this. And so the question is, how does my family, Tim, do a risk-reward analysis so that I can set myself up and, and deal with the fallout here? Isn't that what we as families should be spending our time on? Absolutely. And, and one thing you, you mentioned about the end, in my opinion, there's never an end. There's always an end that ushers in a beginning. So... This may just be the beginning of a new mentality, a new thought process, um, a new way that we live and look at life. So one thing, um, Sam, is I'm sure you probably are already practiced a lot of this, is you need to assess the needs of your family. And so your family needs shelter, your family needs food, your family needs security. And then to provide all these things, you're going to need income or you're going to need a source of somehow acquiring these things. So you start to assess these things for your family and start to look at, you know, what you need to do to provide those. And one of the easiest ways to do these, um, we see right now there's a lot of um, impulse, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, people buying um, things at, uh, you know, they're they're buying these things last minute. Yeah, panic buying. Panic buying, yeah. Sure. Panic um, buying of, of items that they're afraid they're going to need because they think there's there's going to be a need for them. The problem is, is that stresses the supply chain. If people would just take, when this is all over with, and would go to the store and say, you know, I'm going to set aside 25 extra dollars to buy extra items that I don't need this week and set them aside, whether it be shampoo, soaps, toilet paper, food, medical supplies, whatever it may be, do that when there's not an emergency. And then you do not stress the supply chain and become a problem when things happen like this. And there's a miscon- misconception out there that people that hoard, that I think some people that are prepared are being labeled as hoarders or preppers, they're not either one of those things. They're just someone who abides by the recommendations from our own government agencies that say, look, be prepared for a three- or six-month disaster or situation in your life to where you can support yourself and not put a stress on the supply chain. And and by doing this, you're contributing to society and helping because then those who can't afford can still have the supplies they need when they need them because they're going to have to rely on the supply chain. And that is the proper thing, in my opinion, to do um, in, in doing your part. If you can afford to do these things, do them now so that you don't stress out the supply chain for the elderly and those less fortunate 
that can't stock up or have the room to do it. So I think it's important to prepare. I think it's important to have things on hand. A lot of people believe you, you, you just panic buy. That's not the answer. A lot of people also believe that you need to take out a big loan and prepare overnight. That's not the answer. The no, answer is absolutely. to slowly but surely when you go buy beans, for instance, you know what? Buy an extra five cans of beans or buy an extra bag of rice or buy an extra uh, whatever it be. And over time, you know what? You create this little storehouse to where you say, hey, I can live three days now without going to the store. Okay, I can live a week now without going to the store. You know what? I can live two weeks. I can live a month without going to the store. And you slowly but surely build up your reserves over time. And you slowly but surely create a list and refine what you what you purchase. You know what? A lot of times people purchased a ton of wheat. Yeah, I got 5,000 pounds of wheat. And then when it came time, they didn't have a wheat grinder. It's like, oh, no, what do I do now? Okay, you got to start to... Uh, Learn to deal with what you eat. Learn to use what you store. Learn to slowly but surely um, grow. And I mean a garden, but I also mean grow the reserves that you have in ways that you know how to use it. And I think that's one great grand key for sure, because you're less dependent. You're more self-sufficient. The second way from an economic point of view and a job point of view, though, is. There's always been disruptive technologies, Tim. There's always been circumstances that change things from an agriculture economy uh, to an industrial economy, from an industrial economy to somewhat of a service economy. Or whatever. There's always changes, and there always will be. And I submit to you, the changes are going to come faster and more often and faster and more often uh, as society changes. And the key in my mind uh, is for people to learn to adapt. Uh, and, and I think one of the big ways to learn to adapt is to realize that you can teach your th yourself anything, Tim. Well, absolutely. And, and, and that's just the other aspect of this when it comes to being able to provide for your family. You maybe need to assess what you're doing for a living. If you're working as a, um, you know, a vendor at a big event venue like a sports stadium, you may want to reevaluate that and get into something that, has maybe some more stability for these kinds of events in the future. Or, um, you know, if you're working in an industry that's that's dying off because of technology, you may want to reassess that and get into something in the technology field that you would like to do. Um, they're, they're, people need to evaluate their careers every five years, I believe, um, and, and really see is this what's the – the, the short-term, the, the mid-term, and long-term uh, future projections of my career and try to plan accordingly. Um, if, you do, if you don't do this, you'll become a victim and be left unemployed and, and kind of, you know, waving out there in the, in the wind with no security blanket, and so to speak. Um, so that, of course, is one of them that's very important to do is, is securing your income source. Um, the other one we we kind of missed over is, is, a, is shelter. And when I say shelter, if you don't have a place to keep everything, your family and, and your, your belongings, um, you know, you really can't do anything else. So you have to have a shelter. And, and one of the things in securing a shelter is maybe buying a home that is less expensive. It may not impress your neighbors as much and you may not keep up with the Joneses, but it'll secure your family and you can get out of debt where the home is actually yours so that when something like this happens, you don't lose your home. So these kinds of things are very important as, as well. So we've talked about food, water, shelter, clothing is another one, too, to where, you know what, you got to have uh, appropriate clothing to, uh, 
You know, and, and a lot of these things we're talking about, folks, there's two ways to look at them a little bit, Tim. And I want to highlight this. There's the first world way of looking at them versus the third world way of looking at them, whether it be your job or your clothes or your shelter or whatever, the kind of food you have. Some people are like, I don't like that food. I'm not eating it. I trust you, me. If there's not food, you will be eating it. All oh, right. yeah. <laughs> OK. And, and, and I bring this up because um, do we want to look at these things as uh, what I want to do? Do we want to look at a job as I don't want to do that kind of work? Uh, I do want to do this kind of work. I know we've had the luxury of doing those things uh, in days gone past. You can simply say, hey, I don't care if I don't make as much money or I don't care if I like this job. I want to do this. Um, or I don't want to live here. I want to live there. And we've had a lot of those choices that are first world nation. They're liberty based choices. But at some point, most of the world, most of the history of the world, people haven't just selected a job based on, hey, it feels good and I like this job or I don't want to do this. It was based on, I got to do this to survive discussions. Uh, and I go back to the biblical laborers in the field to make my point. You know, uh, they didn't show up there halfway through the day. Um, cause they're just running around lazy. Most of them, they showed up halfway in the day because they didn't have a choice. They had to do that to get a meal that night or they had to, and I'm not saying we're to that extreme of a level, but I am saying that I believe the new world we're facing the new economy, the new circumstances we're facing, it will not be a first world luxury discussion for most of these uh, realities. It will be a necessity discussion based on circumstantial opportunities or the lack thereof, Tim. And you're right, Sam. And here's the thing that people need to face the reality. It isn't necessarily going to take something like a pandemic to cause an up-ended situation in your life. You could just simply be the victim of the change in, in business structures and your company could just be, you're out of a job and the type of work you do may not even be in demand anymore because of the, the advancements in technology. So if that happens, it's just as bad as what's happening right now to you and your family. So you've got to realize that if you don't assess things for those kinds of situations, um, you will be in just as much peril as you would be today if something was to happen with the economy or happens to the economy because of this virus. So don't, you don't necessarily have to plan for the worst. Just plan for the unknown. You got to plan for the unknown, but you also got to plan for the known. And what I mean Boy, by you got to plan for the known is that if you are in a field where uh, social distancing becomes uh, the norm. You know what? How long, even if the economy comes back, just say, and certain people can go back to work, how long is the social distancing circumstance going to remain? How long is, is our behavior or whatever going to be? You might do things for necessity purposes, but not voluntary reasons. And so we may see some things come back for necessity, but we may see social distancing and some of these things become the reality long term. How's that going to affect things? Let's talk about it. Because they're continuing to lock things down. We've seen nobody ease up anywhere, have we? When do we turn the corner? And what will it look like? And how should we be prepared for that? Kosher. Certified. Put the two words together to get co-certified, which is spelled with an S-E-H instead of just S-H. It's the right way to spell this, the German way. And it made it easier to trademark. Now, did I tell you that the letters S-C-H still make the shh sound, as in all those American food producers saying shh? 
Let's keep it really quiet that our product is kosher certified. Think about it. Nearly one century of kosher certification, and hardly anyone outside exclusive observers knows that most packaged food and kitchen products are literally certified by religious intermediaries. Well, because you, consumer, are indirectly paying for this, the Kosher Certified app is here to make kosher certification awareness an inclusive matter for people of all faiths and identities. And it even boasts a unique database of products not kosher certified. We call that NKC. Start memeing it. It's fun. NKC. Not kosher certified. Now to confuse our audience even more, we put a question mark at the end of our name, and that really cinched our trademark approval. It relates to the website where you can begin your new shopping behavior, thekosherquestion.com. Attention Liberty News Radio listeners. Hard-hitting talk radio has never been and never will be supported by the mainstream in America. Hard-hitting talk radio is taking on the mainstream press like never before. News the networks refuse to use is one of the best ways to educate people. We invite all liberty-loving Americans to join with us to restore the principles of our founding fathers and promote God, family, and country in the media and our lives. Please help spread the Liberty message with your generous donation. You can go online at libertynewsradio.com right now and make a donation online. Or call 801-756-9133 and make a donation over the phone. That's libertynewsradio.com and 801-756-9133. Make a donation today. So even if we bring back some of the economy, I submit to you the social distancing ideas will still stay in place. I submit to you that even if we bring back businesses that are necessary, you might come back and say, okay, businesses like restaurants that were closed might be able to do takeout and delivery, but they still can't have uh, people in their uh, dining rooms or whatever you want to say. Um, I don't even think when this comes back, it's going to come back as quickly uh, and as simply as we think. I think some uh, of the things we've learned and done to date uh, will carry on. Uh, how do you deal with that? That might not even affect your job, but just affect your general life going forward, Tim. Yeah, if you own a food buffet restaurant, you may want to seriously assess your source of income. <laughs> you know, there there is going to need to be a discussion with people and some thought processes in people's lives at this point. Um, you know, what, where do you go from here? How long is this going to last? And even if it doesn't last as long as we think, is it going to reemerge and go through all this again? So people need to rethink um, and strategize about their uh, income source. And uh, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to, if you own a buffet restaurant, get out of the business. You're going to probably just have to reassess how it's going to operate from that point on. You may have to operate a little differently. It may be a situation to where, you know, people can come to a buffet and, uh, you know, they don't serve themselves. Someone there serves it for them, and then they put it in to-go thing, and they leave or something. Or, yeah, I don't know. But there's going to have to be a different. Well, I will process. say this, Tim. What we need, what we call for in this case, is no panic. And what we call for is realizing this is the American genius, though. We have remade America, economically speaking, over and over and over again. This is nothing new. You ask our founding fathers, you ask those who have gone through the Industrial Revolution, you ask those who have gone to the Digital Revolution, whatever you want to call it. And Okay, this is nothing new. It's a matter of, of finding new ways to uh, 
rebuild your business, new ways to rebuild your life, new ways to communicate and enjoy one another. And the example that I would give, because I'm in tech, and so this example flies well. You know, I've been encouraging uh, people to work from home for a long time, and I've got workforces that I manage and, and am involved in from an IT point of view. Um, and you know what? I've really encouraged them to use Zoom and other things that most people didn't know much about before, but now everybody kind of knows about it. Um, but it's got to where I, you know, executives would fight me on this, and I'd say, listen to me. Once you start using Zoom and doing virtual meetings, you will like it better than meeting in person. And they're like, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, and they laughed at me. But now, believe it or not, because you can raise your hand when you want to, uh, because you don't have to travel to and from, because you can literally see everybody's screen, somebody can put up a screen and, you know, literally use a pointer and point at things on the screen. I've literally got people now when they once in a while meet together, they literally sit in the same room and use Zoom because they can share their screens and they can chat back and forth and have a silent channel of discussion that doesn't interrupt the general meeting, but provides subcontext for the general meeting and points of reminders. And, and they've gotten to where they literally like this virtual meeting stuff better than the physical meeting. Now, I'm not downing physical meetings, but I'm making a point that that disruptive technology at first looked at as so negative and so horrible. Now it's like, oh, my gosh, what would we do without that? We really need this. And so a lot of this is just basically realizing don't panic and melt down. You got to be creative and innovative. And you got to look at this disruption as a blessing, um, not as a cursing. And I think that's where the genius of America uh, can shine. So now we're talking about to wrap up the hour. A coronavirus great awakening, if you will. Sometimes the most important ingredients for spiritual renewal is a cataclysmic, cataclysmic event, Tim. I think that's what we're experiencing right now, sir. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a very resilient people here in this country, and I think the biggest thing is when we have something um, that is, is, is an impact in our life. It causes us to reassess our life and causes us to, you know, make the changes necessary. And, and, you know, personal evaluation is important. And, uh, sometimes it takes, you know, falling down to a certain point in life or takes a, a barn falling on your head, so to speak, to, to make you assess those things. All right, let's talk a little bit about this cataclysmic event. Like I said, some people are saying, are we experiencing the apocalypse? You know, are we? is this a zombie apocalypse? See, I don't think we need to go that far at all. I do think it's a sign of the times, though. I do think as we have, as a people and as a world, turned our back on God, it's a very wicked world. We murder the most innocent among us, called abortion worldwide, to the tune of millions and millions. We're not caring about those lives while we pretend we care about the coronavirus victim lives, we, okay, we've got wars everywhere, rumors of wars everywhere. We're seeing God pour out his wrath on the people, and I believe things are about to change there, too. In our lifetimes, it's been pretty peaceful. There's been a, a natural disaster here or there. Uh, but I believe that we have turned a corner on this, too. And, you know, you can say, Sam, I'm not as religious as you are. By all means, say what you would like. But I'm telling you that I see earthquakes and natural disasters and turmoil and and fear and people's hearts failing them and and people in sheer panic and like I've never seen before. And I don't expect it to change. I expect it to increase. Be ready for it spiritually, emotionally, morally. Everything. Uh, but I see this as a change that I don't think we're going back from. I think there'll be more natural disasters more man-made interferences, more, it's not just economic. Uh, it's not just a coronavirus. How do we know 20 other viruses won't unleash just like this? Or how do we know that 
these natural disasters, earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes, and how do we know those won't exponentially increase? I'm suggesting and predicting, uh, and I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you, I see the writing on the wall. I'm predicting nothing but an increase there at all levels across the waterfront, sir. From a religious point of view, we are definitely seeing things fulfilled and coming to pass that I believe are things as a religious person you need to pay attention to and you need to assess your life in that way and, and get yourself closer you know, to, to God and get yourself in a spiritual preparedness mode. Um, you know, it's, it's getting to that point to where if you're not thinking about that, maybe you should. There's no doubt about it. But whether you take this religiously or not, I think it's a reality expectation to say I expect more viruses, more plagues, more natural disasters, more things, because I'm starting to see them increase everywhere. Now, you can say that's religiously based, or you can just say it's a reality of the world we live in. I don't know. I mean, I do personally know, but I'm saying I'm not here to debate that. I'm here to say you can see the writing on the wall, though, right? Absolutely. I think you can see it from both point of views. You can see it religiously, and you can see it factually. This is this is what's happening. So, um, So if it's you know, regardless of how you look at things, this is the reality, and you are going to have to deal with it and be confronted with it. So um, we're seeing things, you know, at, at, I mean, just for instance, I, I remember when it flooded, um, you know, the Mississippi River flooded. It was a 100-year flood, and then, well, now it's a 50-year flood. Well, now it's an every-year occurrence, you know what I mean? So it's it's one of them things to where we're starting to see more and more things that we haven't been used to seeing in the past. How do people deal with this emotionally? I, you know, we can say prepare. We can say, you know, learn to store food and, and take care of your shelter. We could say, hey, make sure that you're innovative and that you retool for a new job and that you're aware of this and you don't take it for surprise. But the emotional discussion is a little different. How do we emotionally handle this? Some say replace fear with faith. I'm one of them. Uh, but what suggestions do you have for that in this risk analysis? Well, Tim, you, you said the key thing. You've got you to replace fear. You've got to get rid of fear. So fear can be replaced through knowledge, um, knowledge of being secure, how to handle things, knowledge of religion, knowledge of faith. Um, those, all those things help you to handle things in a better manner. If you, have, if you remove the fear, you handle most anything better. It's the fear of the unknown that causes people to panic and causes people to make bad actions and, and, and feel depressed and do horrible things. Um, so the more you remove that, the better your chances. So if you're, you know, if you seek this, uh, you don't know the future, and, and as it relates to religion, you better study more and you better get closer to God. If you don't know how to handle, uh, you know, a, a pandemic, you better study more about pandemics and understand how to deal with them. If you don't know how to handle, you know, the change in, in, in technology with your career, you better understand that change and know how to handle it and to adapt. You know, those are the kinds of things that, that you need to do to eliminate the fear in your life. And you need to get centered, whether you turn to God for that, which is what I personally do, or whether you trust in your own. You need to get centered where you say, listen, I wasn't however I got to this earth and why ever I'm here and all this stuff, uh, you know, I've got to say, I don't believe it's for doom and gloom. I believe it's for a good purpose. 
In other words, some people would say karma. What comes around goes around. The same principles here. You've got to look forward with hope. You've got to look forward with dignity. And you've got to um, you know, trust in your own ability to do what's right and to make a difference and be prepared and handle this. Um, and I submit to you that's kind of the key here. You've got to look at this by saying, hey, I wasn't put here to fail. However and whatever I'm here, if you're not religious, I wasn't put here to fail. I'm put here to succeed. And I think it starts with that understanding of, you know, what do you believe the world holds for you? Why do you believe you're here? What do you believe uh, the purpose of it all is? And I think that's kind of the key to the right mindset, isn't it? I mean, personally, in my life, God takes center, you know. I mean, I focus, and my life revolves around um, God and my family. And I personally feel that way. And I think those who don't maybe should evaluate things in their life and, and look at things a little differently to see if maybe, you know, putting God in their life more doesn't help them to uh, feel more secure in things and, and help them to have a better outlook and, and make better judgment calls and, and be able to cope with things. All right. Do you think that the uh, money is going to come fast enough for people? A lot of people are already in trouble, and they say it's going to take three weeks without a deposit till people get their money. Now, I'm not really in favor of passing out this money in the first place, but they've already done it, right? The money's are coming. They claim it'll be there in three weeks. Number one, do you think they'll do it timely? And number two, do you think it'll be a dollar late or a day late and a dollar short for people? You know the old adage, you can give someone a fish and feed them for a day, or you can teach them how to fish and, and feed them for life. To me, this is a handout that'll last you for a month. And after that, what do you do? I mean, in all reality, what takes place after that? I mean, so you get a handout that'll help you get by for that month. Now, but about next month and the month after and the month after. What about the people that don't have jobs to go back to? What about people, you know, that their careers aren't even going to exist anymore because of what we've just been talking about? It's going to be a change in the way we do things in society. And, you know, these, these companies... You know, we're, we're looking at several big, huge companies that are saying they're going to fold their doors. I mean, the Cheesecake Factory says they can't pay the rent at any other location. You know, I mean, did this come about just from the coronavirus or was this something that was already in the making? I don't know. You know, so. They're, well, and why would they be on, like, so on the edge either way? Exactly. And and obviously they didn't do enough uh, business uh, planning, you know, disaster recovery planning for their business uh, plan or for their uh you know, business model, obviously, because, um, you know, it hadn't even been that far into this a couple months, and they're saying they can't pay rent. Ladies and gentlemen, we are engaged in the most significant changes in our lifetime, I am convinced. Whether you call that the most significant industrial mobilization, whether you call that at wartime, whether you call that a, a coronavirus awakening or a spiritual change, I'm telling you, the world's being remade under our very feet right now. Whether it's intentional for those who have agendas or whether it's reality or circumstantial, I can't say for sure. I believe it's some of both personally, but I don't have definitive on that. What I do know is this. We're going to have to get centered spiritually. We're going to have to get centered emotionally. And we're going to have to be innovative and stand together. And really what we need to do is guard our liberties while this all unfolds. I'll tell you that right now. Tim Starks, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Sam. Keep up the good work. He always does a phenomenal job, Tim Starks. Thanks for being alongside. We declare this nation shall endure. God save the republic.